So as uh, Mark says, uh, John, uh, the baptizer, is, uh, he, he was arrested. Remember, he's the baptizer because he wasn't Baptist, he was Lutheran. I've been saying that for weeks now. Um, and he was, he was arrested by Herod Antipas because he had the audacity to criticize Herod Antipas for, shall we say, shacking up with his brother's wife. And uh, eventually he'll get executed from prison. And for whatever reason, uh, this marks for Jesus his moment. He says, the time is fulfilled. Um, the language they're suggesting, not like uh, the time in terms of like calendar or clock, but time as moment or opportunity. Like, here we go. This is it. The time is now. Then he says, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God being, quite obviously, where God is king. Which means that if God is king, then there are certain things that we might expect to start happening around here. And as it turns out, if I were to poll you guys, what would it look like if God were king around here? You would probably say things like, well, the people who are in desperate need have their needs met. People who are experiencing unjust or injustice would receive justice. The people who were spiritually broken would be mended and redeemed. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He goes around and he shows everybody. He doesn't tell, he shows, he acts like what it would mean if God were truly king around here. And realistically, the history of the church has, for the last 2,000 years, been asking that question, sometimes deeply imperfectly, let's be very honest, but nonetheless asking, well, how does it look for God to be in charge here within my context and at this time? That's what Jesus is all about. And then he says, repent and believe in the gospel. And in other places, he will say, repent and believe in me. And we as modern, American, post-enlightenment Christians have been, um, shall we say, like taught, we've been conditioned to hear that phrase in a very, very narrow and specific way. Repent and believe in me. Repent and believe in the gospel. We hear that as strictly a spiritual statement. And one that honestly could come across very intensely, shall we say. Stop doing the bad things you have done and believe in Jesus for a sense of private salvation and spiritual fulfillment. Now, I'm guessing you probably wouldn't word it quite like that, but I'm being pedantic to be obnoxious for a moment. Because we tend to privatize, and, to clo- and we tend to cloister off what we would call religious belief. I would submit to you that the people readily are in that moment hearing Jesus say, repent and believe in me, or repent and believe in the gospel, would hear it very differently. 
uh, there was a, um, a Jewish historian named Josephus from the first century who um, probably was, he was, all, he was kind of a contemporary of Paul, I think a little bit younger. Um, he is wildly important because he wrote huge volumes of history of the Jewish people and, and their exploits and wars. But at the same time, he also was writing from Rome because his patron was Roman. He was uh, Vespasian. And so he, he ends up, quite accidentally, I think, providing New Testament scholars huge amounts of information of what it would look like to live around the time of Jesus up until about seven, the year 70 AD. He lived a very interesting life. Um, he uh, originally was a military guy, and I'm not going to go into all the details because honestly, it's, it's a long, complicated story that for our purposes don't matter. However, he found himself at one point um, having to convince a group of rebels, uh, Jewish rebels, to basically stop what they were doing. And again, the whole backstory is complicated and it's not important to go into. But really, that whole region, the, the region especially of Judea, um, so south of Galilee, uh, where Jesus would eventually end up being executed, was known to be a hotbed of rebellion, of violence. Things were always on the edge of popping off because of their Roman overlords. They despised the fact that godless, uncircumcised pagans ruled over them. And so as things were kind of about to boil over, there was this, this group of Jewish rebels, so think like, um, Robin Hood and his merry men, except they were way more violent, far more brutal, and they never wore tights, as far as we know. Um, if you've seen that movie, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> and so he had to actually go and convince them to stop what they were doing, stop their, their uh, re little rebellion, and to actually join up with the military agenda he was trying to enact. Again, it's more complicated than that, but that's the gist. Except, and Josephus wrote in Greek, wildly, if you were to translate what he says to these bandits um, literally, he actually tells them, repent and believe in me. Isn't that weird? Now, it's very safe to say this guy had no intention of starting a religion. Uh, this is not a spiritual statement at all. But it suggests that the phrase, repent and believe in the gospel or repent and believe in me, was not intended to necessarily be understood as Jesus saying, hey, I'm going to start a new religion, whatever that means. That's not necessarily a word they would ever have used, and they don't think in those terms. Uh, and I'm going to then die so that you can have a sense of private religious fulfillment or something like that. That just doesn't make any sense. But instead, what it suggests is that when Jesus says, Repent and believe in the good news, or the gospel, or me, that kind of says all of, the, all of that. 
that what Jesus is starting in this moment is something that is intended to be, to use a very modern word, holistic. Something that is intended to inform the entirety of your experience as a human being. Something that is not meant to be something private that you would enact or do one day a week and then just kind of put that to the side and then go about your merry way. Because for Jesus, uh, his invitation to everybody that he encounters is to rethink the way that God interacts with them and who they are within the world God has placed them. It is, in fact, again, as I've said, holistic. So what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Um, for Jesus, this good news or the fact, or, or his agenda, and in fact, one uh, first century scholar translates that line in Josephus as, um, re- like, repent from your way of doing things and trust me for my agenda, which I find a very compelling translation, is that Jesus intends to reshape, reform, and redeem the way that we live as human beings. Now, how do I say this? That, of course, includes the moment which, uh, or throughout which his entire career, Jesus is heading toward. Uh, The moment where, as he is enacting what God has has chosen for him to do, where, where he taking on the role of Israel and really taking all of humanity onto his shoulders is going to go towards his death. And in that moment where he gives himself up, Death itself exhausts everything that it has onto Jesus' shoulders, thereby it has nothing else left to offer. In Jesus' death, death itself dies, and then God defeats death when he raises Jesus from the dead. That, of course, is true. However, it doesn't make sense within the context of Jesus' world to stay there because the reality is that is that there's no such thing as just my spiritual life we as modern people have a tendency to divide like put dividers and around certain things barriers boundaries or something like that so so these are my spiritual beliefs these are my political beliefs and part of the nuttiness of the last like couple of decades of political life is that there's Kind of a confused overlap there. This is my home life over here, and then this is my work life. This is what I I do at work. And we have a tendency to block a lot of those things off. It's a very modern thing to do. When Jesus is saying, repent and believe in the gospel, the good news, repent and believe in me, what he's inviting us into 
is a life that is more integrated, there's a problem. Human beings have almost an infinite capacity to trust in the agenda or the ability to save of almost everything. Or to put it another way, we are able to make almost anything our identity. Or, to put it yet another way, we have a tendency or a temptation to trust for our safety and security almost anything. Early, early on in my uh, days in ministry, uh, which technically would have started in the summer of 2008. And if you know anything about financial history, that was a complicated time to start ministry. Because the market just decided it hated everybody. And it crashed. And I remember talking to somebody who had, from their vantage point, uh, put together a very significant nest egg of money. I, I, they never told me the actual amount, and honestly, I didn't care. Uh, but you could tell that there was a very strong sense of, I'm going to be fine. Look at all of this that I have amassed. And when I retire, I will live like a king or queen. Um, this is going to be amazing. And then, as it turns out, um, at some point, I think late that summer, maybe fall, so right as the market had really bottomed out, their eyes were like saucers one time. I was like, what is going on? And they said, I've lost $250,000. The funny thing about that, not funny ha-ha, but funny huh, is that it said a lot about where their sense of safety and security lied. Um, and so I would ask you, what kinds of things um, tell you who you are? Where do you get your identity from? Plenty of us have their, our identity uh, from being a parent. It's hard not to because being a parent sort of asks all of you. <laughs> and, and, and then it somehow asks for more. Uh, and that's just how it goes. And it's not wrong to say that this is one of the most important things I will ever do because that's true. And yet there's a very fine line, and I can't answer this for you. You'll have to figure this out yourself whereby that starts to encroach on this is who I am at a very deep and fundamental level. I am a parent. And one way to find out if that's happening to you, or if you are doing that to yourself, is to ask, well, what happens when they grow up and leave? Do you find yourself saying, I hope I've done a good enough job and I can't wait to launch them into the world? Or do you find yourself going, what am I going to do? I'm going to actually have to talk to my spouse now. <laughs> if you know, you know. If you I find your sense of identity in being a spouse, 
Well, what happens when they become just slightly more independent? People change over time. What happens when that system changes a little bit? Is it going to throw you off to the point where you can't function? Because then that would suggest the opposite of what Jesus is saying when he says, repent and believe in me, repent and believe in the good news. Your job, job or slash career is, a, is one of the more, one of the easier things, I would say, in, in our world, especially if you're a guy for whatever reason. Is your identity wrapped up in your profession? Um... I personally got a really harsh reminder of how easy that was, is to do when in 2021, 20, uh, I lost my job. The budget just crashed and they couldn't pay me, so I had to leave. And just finding myself going, well, who am I now? What do I do now? And I highly suspect I'm not alone in that. We can find our sense of safety and security also in, say, politics. Normally, I don't like to talk about politics. In fact, I hate it. But this is an election year, and again, I am not partisan. I think everybody's crazy, but I am going to make a prediction that this election year is going to be nutty. Just, that is not a partisan statement. I just, you know, you can just feel the anxiety within our, our society uh, building towards next November. Um, every election cycle that I have been aware of has said, this is the most important election of our lives. If this person doesn't get elected, or this person doesn't get elected, or this platform doesn't get elected, uh, the whole nation is going to fall apart and we're going to go to hell in a handbasket. They've said that every four years. It's time to question that. But more deeply, if we cannot fathom what life is going to be like if that person or that person gets elected, then maybe what we're actually doing is trusting in the agenda of something other than Jesus. That maybe the kingdom of God transcends all of that nutty nonsense that we are inevitably going to witness. Because regardless of who's elected, Jesus is still king. We are going to be okay. Humans are factories for creating little gods in which we trust and from which we derive our identity. And baked into Jesus' statement of repent and believe in the good news or repent and believe in me is turn around, which is quite literally what that word repent, metanoia, o means. Turn around and trust in the agenda that Jesus offers because it transcends. In fact, it actively works against any other thing from which we would derive our identity, our sense of safety, our sense of self, our sense of security. The uh, late, great Tim Keller, a, uh, a, a pastor that I, I respect uh, more than almost any other pastor, 
he is now deceased. He was a pastor in New York City for uh, many years. Would put it like this. All of those other things, all of those things in which we might find our identity, uh, from which we might derive our sense of security and safety or our sense of hope, all of those other little gods will demand from you some kind of sacrifice. If it's your job and you have a family, most likely that, that little God will demand a sacrifice your family. If it is politics, most likely you will start to sacrifice your ability to see the humanity within people who disagree with you, among many other things. <clears throat> if your identity is as a parent or a spouse, then you will suck them dry and you will is, is sacrifice your ability to see the otherness in them and your sense of self will just get absorbed and, and dissolved and it's not going to be a good thing. And in fact, all other religious traditions and ideas, all other things from which we might derive our sense of self, our sense of identity, our sense of security and safety will demands sacrifice and the way of Jesus is the only to use a modern uh, phrase religious tradition or religious system whereby instead of demanding sacrifice from us God sacrifices God's self for us and for you Jesus when he gets up and begins his public ministry with repent, turn around and trust me for my agenda, trust that the kingdom of God is here, trust me for my sake, baked very deeply into that statement is the promise that everything else is going to demand sacrifice from you. I am the only one will give myself up for you. Jesus, as he is beginning his ministry, I would argue, is keenly aware of where his ministry is going. He knows what's going to happen. And so he begins with, trust my agenda for you. Trust what I have to give to you. I am the only one who's not going to turn around and stab you in the back. I'm the only one who's not going to demand the most precious things in life from you. I am the only one who can give you a sense of who you are that will not be shaken. I am the only one who's going to give and not take. So, thus begins the preaching, and the enacting of the kingdom of God by Jesus. Amen.